Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Josh Hammer Show. Former President Trump's legal drama continues. This past week, his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, was in court in Fulton County, Georgia, formally filing for a motion to switch venue from state court to federal court. The argument there is that Mark Meadows, who was a co-defendant in the actions described in that Fonnie Wilson, Georgia prosecution, the argument is that he was acting in his formal federal governmental capacity as President Trump's chief of staff at the time that all this is going down with Brad Raffensperger, the infamous request to find 11,000 votes or so, and therefore the case should be moved from state to federal court. The upshot and the reason that you should care about that is that it is unlikely that they would try all 18 co-defendants in separate courts, one in state court, one in federal court, for sheer purposes of kind of docket management And all of that, they will probably try them all in either state or federal court, and it would be unambiguously better for not just Mark Meadows, but of course for Donald Trump himself, and really for all of these co-defendants, John Eastman, Jenna Ellis, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, all of them to have that tried in federal court, if for no other reason than the fact that the juror pool would include roughly an eight-county, if I'm not mistaken, area there in northern Georgia, stretching out into the Atlanta suburbs, not just urban blue Fulton County. So certainly all of them should be hoping for that. But that is just to underscore that this is not going away. None of this is going away anytime soon. I mean, these motions are going to get cross-filed, the this, the that. The lawyers do their thing. As a lawyer myself, I know how this works all too well. Fonnie Wilson, there for that Georgia prosecution, is still trying. It's not going to happen, but she's going to try to get that thing started as early as late October. We know that Judge Chutkin in Washington, D.C. has that federal prosecution. That trial is going to start on March 4th, I believe the date is. It is a day or two before the Super Tuesday primaries. Coincidence? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. None of this is going away, guys. This is going to be the story out of Trump Landia. This is going to be one of the major stories of the entire 2024 Republican presidential primary is Trump's legal drama. It is it is 91 criminal counts across four jurisdictions there. We've discussed it on this show all the time. The Alvin Bragg indictment, which was the first out of the gate, this record keeping malfeasance, mishandling of of records, 34 counts roughly up in New York. That was the first one. It's laughably, laughably frivolous, truly. Some of these are clearly more serious. Georgia and the classified documents case in Mar-a-Lago with Judge uh, Cannon coming up soon. Some of these definitely tend toward the more serious. Clearly, all of this is intended to dominate the news cycle. Now, reasonable minds will differ as to why that is. If you listen to the loudest voices 
from MAGA Twitter, the Mar-a-Lago Inner Circle, the paid MAGA Inc. social media influencers, folks like that. If you listen to them, the reason that they are coming after Trump is that Trump is the only one who can possibly win. And therefore, they want to take him out. They want to take him out right now and ensure that he does not dominate Joe Biden next fall. This argument is refuted by the very, very simple and straightforward observation that it makes no sense whatsoever for them to go out of their way to take the guy out of the running that they defeated the last time. Now, was the 2020 election riddled with irregularities? Did any number of states from Pennsylvania to North Carolina to others take advantage of the COVID pandemic to change election laws via administrative fiat and direct contravention of the constitutional text, which explicitly calls for it to be done by the legislative process? Yes, yes. But he still he still lost. I, I, I mean, by definition of the fact that he is not sitting in the White House, He lost. So I find this argument that they are doing all of this to sideline the one guy, the one knight in shining white armor who can somehow defeat Joe Biden. I find this utterly ludicrous. To me, it makes much, much more sense that the reason that they are doing all this is because they want Trump to be the nominee. They want iconic photos like that mugshot photo there in Fulton County, Georgia. They want Republican voters to rally around the flag. You know, as Paul Godfrey, the venerable, venerable paleoconservative intellectual, he had a column for the American Greatness website recently saying, don't walk into the trap. It's a trap to go back to that famous moment from the Star Wars trilogy. If you got, if you nerds out there remember that moment with uh, I can't remember the character's name, but it's a trap. It's a famous quote from from that trilogy. And I fear the Republican voters are walking right into this trap. I, I really, really do. Now, on the other hand, juxtaposed at the same time as the further kind of playing out of this legal drama there with Mark Meadows' motion to file, and this is just going to go on and on and on and on. You had in Florida, Ron DeSantis this past week, take a break from the campaign trail in Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina to return home to Florida to handle what was a Category 4 hurricane. It was between a Category 3 and a Category 4 when it made landfall Hurricane Idalia. Now, thankfully, it hit a very sparsely populated part of Florida, the Big Bend region. So Tampa, the Tampa area got hit, but it did not take a direct hit. It made landfall quite a bit north of that. And, you know, there's some small fishing villages, places like Cedar Key absolutely got pummeled. And that's obviously terrible, but it could have been worse. I mean, it wasn't a direct hit to a populated area, but nonetheless, nonetheless, this was a time for Ron DeSantis to just do what he does best which is just govern in highly competent fashion. There was not a single person in America, there was not a single person in the Republican primary voter electorate who was watching the governor of Florida this past week handle these press conferences, issue directives, give such straightforward marching orders as you loot, we shoot. Which, by the way, some of the Trump folks are saying DeSantis stole that line from Trump. Actually, it technically goes back to a line from a Miami police department captain from the 1980s during kind of the cocaine cowboys and all that drug smuggling. So it's actually quite a uh, that line is just total nonsense. But by any statistical stretch, by, by, by any metric. Florida yet again handled this hurricane in superb fashion. So just some statistics from 
The first 48 hours after landfall of Hurricane Adalia, power was quickly restored. Again, this is just in the first 48 hours to 476,000 customers in Florida. The Florida Department of Transportation cleared 6,600 miles of roadway. There were nearly 250 pieces of major equipment, 140 dump trucks, 59 pumps. All of this was deployed by Florida Department of Transportation crews. Any number of other metrics that I could just rattle off there. But this was a time for the country to look and see that there is an alternative to the never-ending drama. There is an alternative to the Trump show. And a show it is. You know, the guy who hosted The Apprentice for a very long time, who was able to generate tons and tons and tons of free media with his social media feed and all of the somewhat unhinged rants at times that he was going on on there. He is nothing if not a showman. Did he do many good things as president? No doubt about it. Unambiguously so. And he should be praised through the roof for that. But the contrast last week could not have been starker. Between, on the one hand, someone who is increasingly, it seems, running out of money to pay his legal bills... There was a report from USA Today this past week reporting that the Trump affiliate super PACs are basically dead out of money. They've spent $150 million plus dollars already on legal bills, not just for President Trump, but to the extent that they are paying for co-defendants legal bills, and apparently they're not paying for that many co-defendants legal bills. They're being quite skimpy for obvious reasons, but they're running out of money. Which also, by the way, raises the question as to Donald Trump's net worth. If this man is even close to as wealthy as he says he is, he says he's a billionaire. If that is anywhere close to true, then why isn't he just paying for his own legal bills? Of course, it's highly illiquid wealth. It's tied up in all real estate portfolios and all that stuff. But still, still. So again, I have to ask Republican primary voters, do you really want to go ahead with someone who is facing 91 criminal counts, the drama that never ends, the mugshot, never surrender, fundraising off of a hashtag never surrender when he's literally surrendering with a mugshot. Or, or, do you want to go with ruthless competence and just plain old good governance? The choice is yours. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
Josh Hammer Show. Now, even holding aside whether you support Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, or anyone else for the 2024 Republican presidential primary nomination, if you are on the right at all these days, and you are somewhat clear-eyed as to what has been going on on the right for the past few years, you have probably noticed a trend, which is this constant, constant bemoaning, bewailing of our situation, this constant playing of the victim. Now, are we on the right victims of a weaponized law enforcement apparatus? You bet we are. 100%. I have been at the forefront of decrying what many of my colleagues refer to as the two-tier system of justice for years and years and years. And as a lawyer and former federal court of appeals law clerk myself, watching the rule of law in this country shrivel into this has been devastating. Absolutely devastating. On the other hand, when you look at all the powers that be arrayed against us on the right, not just from the political sphere, but from the commanding heights of high culture, all of it, Hollywood, academia, the Fortune 500, all the way down to the elementary school classrooms, the absurd indoctrination that these children are getting from these young 20, 30-something Gen Z millennial teachers who themselves were indoctrinated in their lefty master's programs for teaching, all of it. You can look at all the powers that be arrayed against us, and you can come to one of two conclusions. On the one hand, the proper conclusion to draw is that to go back to our conversation with Chris Rufo and his new book out that we had on the show about a month and a half ago, the left has culminated its long march through the institutions, its Gramscian long march that it started potentially as far back as 100 to 110 years ago or so, really picking up quite in earnest in the 1960s, that tumultuous of all decades. You can look at that, and the sober conclusion to draw is that it is time for a conservative counter-revolution of our own. Potentially an oxymoron in terms, if you want to go back to Burke and the definition of conservative, hold, hold the semantics aside for now. The tactics from that perspective become clear. It is an all-hands-on-deck manning of the battalions to win back not just the reins of political power, but the reins of cultural power which Breitbart taught us are, at times, just as important as political power. So running for office, trying to make your way up the inroads of the Fortune 500 companies into the C-suite, get those professorships, the media positions, all the influential positions, one by one by one by one. On the other hand, the other potential takeaway of reviewing our situation of viewing this long march through the institutions that the left has, at this point, effectively finished. The self-defeating way out is to basically just say, oh, wow, we're done. We're perpetual victims. We're never going to win again. We are losers. All we do is lose. We lose. We lose. 
And oh, by the way, we can actually fundraise and grift a little bit off of our losses. You have probably noticed not a few individuals, but many on the right who have adopted this mentality over the past handful of years. The former president himself, former President Trump, is highly guilty of this to no small extent. His entire 2024 campaign pitch is not forward-looking. It is backwards-looking, talking about vengeance and settling scores for those who, from his perspective, wronged him, which he then attributes to wronging all of us. It's still a ton of talk about the 2020 election, mistreatment on January 6, 2021, things like that. By the way, speaking of mistreatment on January 6, 2021, if Trump actually believed that, it would be nice if he coughed up a, a penny to pay for those facing their own prosecutions for being in the wrong place at the wrong time on January 6, 2021. Those dollars have thus far not been forthcoming. But of course, it's much more than just Donald Trump. My column this past week was on this. I tell that column, Republicans stop the self-defeating victimology. And I also called out Carrie Lake, who lost a tight election, unfortunately lost a tight election this past November in the Arizona gubernatorial race to Democrat Katie Hobbs. Now, I thought that Carrie Lake was an exceptional candidate on the campaign trail. She came across really, really smooth and suave on TV, which makes sense because she was a former TV anchor. She was a very compelling candidate on the stump. Unfortunately, she lost. But because Arizona in particular has been ground zero going back to election night 2020 of all of the stop the steal allegations of election fraud, Carrie Lake took the cynical way out and decided to try to grift and fundraise off it for months and months and months. She had fundraising apparatuses in, in place trying to raise money on, quote, stop the steal grounds, trying to file a lawsuit based off of the money she was raising under the absolutely absurd theory that some court would issue a writ of mandamus, I can't even say this with a straight face, would issue a writ of mandamus to install her as the governor. This, this is straight up bilking fixed income retirees. You are just taking money in grifter fashion, with no chance of ever succeeding. And again, this raises the fundamental question. Assessing the situation as most of us clear-minded do, with the left having culminated this long march, do we want to undo the long march? Do we actually want to attain power? Or do we want to lose and just fundraise off of it? I, I'm dead serious asking this question. You know, Matt Schlapp of the American Conservative Union, I, I know Matt, I've spoken at CPACs, ACU organizes CPACs. I, I saw recently Matt Schlapp effectively call for, he, I don't think he explicitly called for every candidate not named Donald Trump to drop out of the race, but he basically said to maximize our chances of defeating Joe Biden, he put this on Twitter, X, whatever we're calling it. He said other candidates at this point should be getting behind Trump's legal defense fund. Charlie Kirk for, called for the exact same thing. I like Charlie a lot. I've been on panels with Charlie. I think quite highly of Charlie and the empire he's built. Charlie called for DeSantis to redirect his super PAC money to Trump, his legal defense fund. This is not a winning mentality. 
This is a loserdom victimhood mentality. Now, if we are content with losing, playing the perpetual victim card, constantly blame, blaming it on this, on this, on that, on that, and then fundraising off it, fine. That's not the movement that I signed up for. Some of us care not about winning for the sake of winning, but about things like helping people, helping save this country. And a necessary precondition for saving the country is attaining actual power. Do we care about that or do we not? Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Josh Hammer Show. Last week back in Kentucky, so Congress was on recess all of August up until Labor Day. They are now back in session. So back in Kentucky last week, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, who was 81 years old, had what is now the second freeze up at the podium when he should not have been freezing up. He was in the middle of preparing remarks, delivering remarks and answering questions. He was there awkwardly for roughly 30 seconds or so, just kind of staring out into the abyss before some aides came up to him, and then he was able to flex his motor abilities and and move his facial muscles. Just a very viscerally jarring and visually galling, frankly, video to watch. It is not for the faint of heart. Those of you who think that this is a repeat episode, you would be correct about that. McConnell had a very similar thing happen in late July. That time it was not back in his home of Kentucky. It was in the U.S. Capitol. At that time, you had some of his Senate Republican leadership aides, his or his fellow senators, I should say, John Thune of South Dakota, John Barrasso of Wyoming, who at that point back then were able to kind of get him back focusing again. So If you go back in time a little bit earlier to this year, McConnell took a terrible fall. He was on a hotel staircase of memory service. He missed a good amount of time with the recovery, and we thought that he was all fine and dandy when he got back to resume his day-to-day duties, where he is now, as of 2023, the longest-serving Senate party leader in the history of the world's greatest deliberative body, as that upper chamber is known. And... Then he had these episodes, and we don't know why. That is perhaps the most frustrating and aggravating part of all this when it comes to Mitch McConnell is there is a total lack of transparency. Now, the 
the official doctors who have given quotes on this, and these quotes are, are still trickling in as of earlier this week, they say that these do not look like seizures. The official congressional physician says there's no evidence Mitch McConnell has some sort of seizure disorder. I've seen some other people kind of, again, it's hard to take anyone's opinion on this seriously unless you're a doctor who has physically examined the man, but some people are saying maybe these are mini strokes, mini seizures. I am the furthest thing from a doctor. I'm not going to pretend to know what is going on here. What I do know, what I do know is that it is a bad look at minimum, and it is just generally bad, more broadly speaking, to have the leader of your Senate caucus, one of the foremost political leaders in America, someone who is leading half of the Senate, who is responsible for leading the compromise on bills, for marking up bills, for drafting bills, for on judicial nominations, on trade, multilateral, bilateral trade agreements, treaties, I mean, basically everything. The Senate Majority Minority Leader wields a heck of a lot of power. And it is discomforting, to say the least, that we do not know what is going on with the health of Mitch McConnell right now. And I understand why his team is not being fully transparent. Mitch McConnell himself is not known as someone who frequently talks about his health or his private life. But you're seeing a lot of normally very pro-McConnell, pro-Republican establishment voices start to question what is going on here. So is the editors of National Review magazine, the, the flagship for decades and decades of the American right, a, a Republican establishment-friendly outlet, if there ever were one. They actually called on Mitch McConnell to step down. They called on him to resign, not necessarily from the U.S. Senate, but from his perch atop the Senate Republican caucus. And, you know, if this were an incident unto itself, if this were a one-off episode, then it would be one thing, but it is not. And it's not only a one-off episode because McConnell has now had two of these, but it's not just a one-off episode because Mitch McConnell more importantly, is not the only major figure in American politics or American life, for that matter, who is way too old, frankly, to be wielding this much power. It is Dianne Feinstein, 89 to 90 years old or so, who missed a lot of time earlier this year recovering from shingles, and she has been back, and she has, well, let's just say she has not been better than ever. She's being wheelchaired around. She doesn't seem to know what is going on. Her aides are whispering in her ear when she's supposed to be talking on the floor. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Again, these are the people who are responsible for your national security. They are responsible for every detail of the federal government when it comes to the economy, foreign policy, immigration, treaty power, Supreme Court nominations. Again, the Senate is a very, very, very important body. You do not want people like Mitch McConnell freezing at the podium, people like Dianne Feinstein, let alone John Fetterman, who is not a baby boomer or a geezer but has plenty of his own issues, but even holding him aside. You don't want people like Dianne Feinstein being responsible for these sort of decisions. And, you know, more generally speaking, Congress has a huge problem in this respect. So I was poring over the data earlier this summer and at the time I was writing about this earlier this summer, it was Joe Biden himself. We'll talk about him in just a second. It was Joe Biden himself who was the most prolific old geezer in American public life. That was kind of the impetus for me to pour over some data. But here is just some data when it comes to the Congress itself. So 68% of U.S. senators, that means 68 out of 100 senators, are 60 years old or over. The single largest demographic subgroup are the sexagenarians. Those would be those aged 60 to 69. It's 34 of 100 senators. 
Now, get this. There are three times as many senators right now age between 70 and 79. So there are three times as many senators in their 70s than there are total senators under the age of 50. Uh, I mean, that, that should just be absolutely staggering stuff there. We are led by a bunch of old farts. There's just no way around that. And as I said, the most demonstrably old farty of all old farts in American public life is the doddering dolt from Delaware himself, Joseph R. Biden Jr. How in the world this man remains the commander in chief is something that I think presidential historians will continue to ponder. The polling for him right now is terrible. Roughly two-thirds of Democrats polled, 65 to 70% of Democrats say that they believe Joe Biden is too old to have a second term. Again, that is 65 to 70% just of Democrats. Overall, that number is 73%, told Wall Street Journal Post pollsters earlier this week. Said that Joe Biden is too old to run for president. Only 36% told the same pollsters that Joe Biden is mentally up for the job. And how could you think that? I mean, every which way the man is, you can call it a gaffe if you want to. I think lying would be the more appropriate description. You know, think back when he was recently in Maui, Hawaii. It took him long enough to get out there after this absolutely catastrophic wildfire. I'm not sure that we even have a final death toll. It's probably going to be a thousand bodies or more. This catastrophe is not getting nearly the attention it deserves. Unbelievable governmental incompetence, private sector utility company incompetence. So Biden finally gets out there to Maui. He's trying to console the victims of this once-in-generation horrific fire. And he has the chutzpah, the gall, to compare it to some fire in his home from in Delaware from years ago, where according to this man's lie, he says that his wife barely made it out alive. The local Wilmington, Delaware firefighters at the time described that as a small kitchen fire that was put out with a fire extinguisher. You know, what about after the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan where we lost 10 to 15 American soldiers in the process? We just had the two-year anniversary of the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, Taliban hoisting the flag over the former U.S. Embassy in Kabul. At the time, Joe Biden trying to console these families who had just lost their children due to his absolute malfeasance at the time trying to console them he was talking about how his son Bo Biden was slain overseas Bo Biden died from cancer I mean these aren't gaffes these are just lies or he's senile I don't care I I really don't care what it is frankly what I care about is that he can't get his own facts straight and these moments are just painful Do y'all recall that moment at the podium a few months ago? It wasn't even with the Brits. I don't think the event had anything to do with our British allies. I don't think England or the UK was involved at all. And he was walking off the podium and he kind of turns around, smirks and says, God save the queen, man. I mean, dude, what is wrong with you? What actually is wrong with you? More generally speaking, just zooming out a little bit here, gerontocracy ruled by elderly, by old people, is not a unique phenomenon to the political arena. It's pervading really large swaths of American life, the Fortune 500 being a a leading example of that. Silicon Valley, the tech industry, historically has been a bit of an exception. That's how you see younger folks. Mark Zuckerberg's a good example. Folks like that, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, they all started those companies when they were younger. So Silicon Valley is perhaps a, a, a bit of an example. They obviously have many of their own problems. But 
Could you imagine anything that would make Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party happier than looking at their putative arch rivals on the world stage, us, the United States of America, and seeing these old farts in positions of power? People like Mitch McConnell, and again, it's tragic. It's really sad. I I do not recommend the video necessarily if you haven't already watched it. It's painful to watch. But you have to think broader here. These people have fundamentally led very privileged lives. You know, privilege is a funny word. The left has co-opted that word for their own ends. But you're serving in public service for 30, 40, 50 years, as people like McConnell and Biden have. You've been wined and dined for decades and decades. Sometimes it is time to know when to hang up the spikes. A good athlete knows that you don't want to go out when you are at the worst of your game. No one wants to remember, you know, Joe Montana and these great players, the very, very tail end of their career throwing interceptions. You got to know when to hang them up. You got to know when to fold your hand. And frankly, if these politicians and leaders in our private sector and civil society are not going to know when to fold them, then they should be forced to do so. So, yes, to cut to the chase when it comes to this current roiling conversation, yes, we absolutely should be amending the Constitution to impose mandatory retirement ages or age limits in there. Why not? Many other Western countries have it. Strikes me as a very straightforward and simple idea. Private sector companies should increasingly be utilizing mandatory retirement ages as well. In fact, many of them do already. I do not see the downside of this. So, look, we wish Mitch Mitch McConnell all the best. It's hard to say, again, what is exactly going on there. It's painful to watch this stuff. But if America is going to be anything remotely resembling the country this century that it was last century, get the old farts out. Get some young blood in there. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Josh Hammer Show. It's Ah! Hammer Time. Go! Bill Maher compares woke liberals to the KKK on the Joe Rogan show. You know, we haven't actually heard an authentic, old-school liberal voice on this show in a very long time, if ever. Let's go ahead and listen to what Bill Maher said on Joe Rogan. Liberal is a different animal than woke. You can be woke with all the nonsense that that now implies, um, but don't say that somehow it's an extension of liberalism. Right. Because it's most often actually an undoing of liberalism. So you can have your points of view and your positions on these things, but don't try to piggyback on what I've always believed. I have always believed, as liberals do, for example, in a colorblind society. 
that the goal is to not see race at all anywhere for any reason. Yes. That's what liberals always believed all the way through. Obama, going back, Kennedy, everybody, Martin Luther King. That's not what the woke believe. They believe race is first and foremost the thing you should always see everywhere, which I find interesting because that used to be the position of the Ku Klux Klan, that we see race first and foremost everywhere. So there's a lot to unpack here. So first of all, credit to Bill Maher where credit is due. Bill Maher is an old school liberal. Old school liberals increasingly are a dying breed, but they are not wholly extinct. Folks like Alan Dershowitz, who is frequently lambasted these days as some sort of Republican hatchet man because of his legal defenses of Donald Trump throughout his legal woes. These people are, are, are not conservatives, they are old school liberals who find themselves allying with conservatives in somewhat of an alliance of convenience, what I have sometimes referred to as a coalition of the unwoke, because they don't like the woke stuff. Now, wokeism is a difficult thing to kind of just give a very crisp and succinct definition to, but I've thought about this, and my definition as to what I would define as wokeism is very straightforward, actually. I would just say that it is leftist illiberalism. Now, it is leftist illiberalism because it is illiberal insofar as it does not view kind of individuals in kind of the traditional meritocratic Martin Luther King judge us not by the color of our skin. Not like that, but it divides up society by hierarchies and ranks of oppression and the oppressed and things that matter are not your individual traits, but your group characteristics, no matter how arbitrary those might be, whether it is your sex, your religion, your, your, your creed, your sexual orientation, your LGBTQ whatever, status, stuff like that. That is what Bill Maher is decrying here. So when he says that wokeism is fundamentally different from liberalism as he conceives it, that is absolutely true. And that is why you see folks like him making somewhat of an awkward common cause with some of us like myself who are firmly on the more conservative ends of the right. Now, it doesn't mean that Bill Maher is a conservative. Again, he's not. I disagree with him profoundly on any number of issues, abortion, religion, things of that nature there. But this is the line to be drawn. Now, the more profound question, which we're not going to get to here, but there have been some interesting books and essays written on this for the past few years, the more profound question is whether wokeism was inevitable by liberalism, even if it's what liberalism's initial proponents, the John Locke's and whatnot of the world, whether or not all this was actually foreordained. And that was the argument put forward by Notre Dame political science professor Patrick Deneen in his 2018 book, Why Liberalism Failed. It's a debatable contention. Again, we're not going to get to unpacking that right here on the show, but it's, I find it to be a very interesting debate. California community college professors sue over DEI rules. So the lawsuit here is contending that the rules, quote, mandate viewpoint conformity and, quote, force professors to endorse the government's view on politically charged questions regarding diversity, equity, inclusion and accessibility. So the professors here are working with an organization called FIRE, Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. That is a a, a libertarian shop, they're kind of free speech absolutists. I do not necessarily agree with FIRE on everything. In fact, they have been at the forefront of actually suing my own state of Florida over Governor DeSantis and Florida's Stop Woke Act. I think that lawsuit is totally mistaken. There was an excellent Wall Street Journal op-ed just last summer from Eugene Kontarovich pointing out how this does not run afoul of the First Amendment. So I think that FIRE takes it way too far. But the point here is not to focus on this particular lawsuit, but rather to kind of just reiterate the point, 
that DEI, despite the anodyne sounding language of diversity, equity, and inclusion, I mean, think about it, you know, I mean, who in, who, who could be opposed to these lofty sounding names, diversity, equity, inclusion? The point, though, is that DEI is not actually about any of this. DEI, rather, is fundamentally woke and illiberal insofar as it subscribes to the exact same mentality, the exact same overarching rigid hierarchical philosophy where you are not about your character, you are not about your merits, you are not about your talents. Rather, you are just, as an individual, you are nothing more than your race or your sexuality or whatever, whatever, whatever. DEI, affirmative action, all of this stuff is toxic. All of it has to do with not viewing individuals as inherent individual human beings with inalienable rights, as the Declaration says, all made equal before God himself, as we know from the Declaration, as we know from the Bible, as we know from just common sense. All of this is so deeply toxic. And to tie this together with the Bill Maher thing, you know, I was happy to hear Bill Maher there talking about how all of this is kind of a throwback to the Ku Klux Klan, because it is. I've made that point time and time again. I mean, going back to the affirmative action Supreme Court decision that we got in late June, those landmark cases out of Harvard and the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, you know, Katanji Brown Jackson, when she wrote that dissenting opinion, she didn't think necessarily that she was channeling the ghost of John C. Calhoun and those in the antebellum period in the South that argued that the, quote, peculiar institution of slavery was a, quote, positive good. She surely didn't think that she was channeling that spirit, but she sure damn well was because it's the exact same mentality. It is that you are predestined for certain outcomes because of your skin color. It's nasty, nasty, toxic stuff. I, I really, really, really hate it. Could the 14th Amendment keep Trump off the ballot in 2024? So we're not going to fully unpack this here. There is this very arcane argument that two law professors, one of whom was a two-time foreign professor of my own at the University of Chicago Law School, Will Bode, they're arguing that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment makes Donald Trump ineligible for the presidency because he, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion. I don't think this is going to go anywhere. It's worth pointing out that the only way this could possibly be enforced is individual secretaries of state. All of this is going to be challenging. It's really just kind of a legal attempt at a quick fix to defeat Donald Trump. Folks, if you want to defeat Donald Trump, the way to do that properly is at the ballot box, either the Republican primary or the general election, not with these too clever by half legal theories that have many glaring holes. Finally, We lost a great one this past weekend. We lost Jimmy Buffett at the far too young age of 76 years old. Now, we actually lost Jimmy Buffett at a time that I was in the Florida Keys. I was with my fiance and a couple friend of ours down in the Florida Keys for a little Labor Day weekend getaway this past weekend. If you know anything at all about Jimmy Buffett, you know that he was a man of the Florida Keys. Many of his greatest hits were inspired by his time in Key West. Songs like Margaritaville, Cheeseburger in Paradise, Come Monday, some of his greatest hits there. And, you know, Jimmy Buffett, politically speaking, was a man of the left. When he got involved in political causes, they tended to be environmentalist causes. He was often seen with prominent Democratic Party officials. The point here is that none of that matters because Jimmy Buffett was not about politics. He was about just trying to give people a vision of a fun life by the beach, holding a cold drink and just giving people a reason to laugh, to sing and to smile. 
who's also a brilliant businessman with his sprawling empire chain, taken from us far, far too soon. My margarita in the keys this past Saturday night was to you, Jimmy Buffett. I hope that you rest in peace, legend.